You're listening to 30 Below with Allie and Rick. I'm Allie. And I'm Rick. And we are continuing our month of legacy quills mm-hmm. uh, with one that actually kind of inspired the whole month for me. Uh, we just had to wait to release it uh, today because obviously. Right, yeah. Uh, and that is Independence Day Resurgence. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that's like 20 years after the release of the original. It is very late in coming. Uh, and it is such a momentous movie that we had to send out the bad movie signal to get someone in here to help us. Uh, and we managed to find Becky. Say hi. Hi. Uh, so why don't you introduce our, yourself to some of our listeners? Well, hi, everybody. I'm Becky, and I am a gigantic Independence Day fan. So Independence Day Resurgence has a weird sort of horrible spot in my in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're the first Independence Day. You were saying that you were a big fan and, in fact, had oh. memorized the presidential speech. Yeah, I do. I, well, I, uh, I used to coach improv, and one of the things that I would do was I'd give movie inspirational speeches, and I learned the one from Independence Day for <laughs> inspirational purposes. <laughs> That's I mean, fantastic. today is our day. Oh, okay, it's I'm one sorry. of the greatest no, speeches in a movie. <laughs> Never apologize, <laughs> Becky. Never. And, um, Allie, what's your affiliation with the first Independence Day? Uh... <laughs> Well, uh, not much, to be honest. Um, I always uh, confuse it with other alien movies. I kind of lump all the alien movies together. <laughs> I forget that Independence Day is like an act, like it takes place on it. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember You're... much of Independence Day, the first one. So I was very confused throughout the second one because they're like, I'm the daughter of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't even remember who blah, blah, blah <laughs> is. Um... <laughs> You're not wrong, though, because uh, actually a bunch of Independence Day came out for it wasn't supposed to be an Independence Day movie, but it came out on Independence Day so that it could uh, predate another alien movie. I can't remember the name of the other one, but then there was also Mars Attacks mm-hmm. that came yeah. out around the same time mm-hmm. that year. And so they specifically changed Independence Day to be an Independence Day movie <laughs> so that they could release it before all of the other alien movies that year. <laughs> I mean, it worked. um yeah so i throughout this movie i was pretty confused um don't remember a lot of the original characters i think the main thing i remember from the first independence day i think because of the age that i was was that um oh maybe this isn't even no i think it's from independence day um where the first lady is like, oh, you're a dancer. What kind mm-hmm. of dance do you do? And or she's like, oh, what do you do? And and the other woman is like, I'm a dancer. Oh, and she's the like, ballet. Oh, the ballet. Oh, I love the ballet. And she's like, no, exotic. And I think that's when I first learned what exotic dancing was. <laughs> so that is my history with Independence Day. Uh, I... I've seen it like twice. I am a really big Independence Day fan. I loved that movie growing up. Uh, Same. Saw it and probably watched it like every summer 
just because it's like, oh, it's Independence Day. We have it on VHS. Let me skip through the trailer for the uh, video game that was released on PlayStation and Sega Saturn that always played before the movie. Also, I owned that <laughs> video game for uh, PlayStation briefly. It was a bad video game. Uh, but yeah, I am very familiar with the movie. I can probably quote the majority of it. Uh, I know like, oh, there's that weird shot where for some reason it looks blurry when the ship is backing up and I don't know why and I never have. Uh, and then also on a more relevant note, um, we saw a staged reading of Independence Day as our first date. We did. Aww. So Mm -hmm. uh, it has some importance in our relationship in that aspect. Mm -hmm. I don't think I told you at the time how little Independence Day meant to me. (laughs) No, I think you just wanted an excuse to go out with me. I think I did, yeah. Well, I was going to say, do you still have Independence Day on VHS? I have it on on... uh, DVD now. Uh, I still, I have a DVD and a VHS copy. Wow. The VHS copy is at my parents' house. Like, it, <laughs> it's probably still underneath the VCR in the living room where anyone could pop it in really quickly. <laughs> yeah, and you, like, I'm the same way. I watch it every single year for Independence Day. Die Hard is my, mo- is my Christmas marathon. Independence Day is my Independence Day marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, speaking of the first movie, this is directed by Roland Emmerich, who wrote and directed the first one. He also wrote and directed the Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie, uh, which is best known for, uh, for some reason, he thought it was really funny that the guy who designed their version of Godzilla, his last name was Totopolis, and uh, Roland Emmerich thought that that was an impossible to pronounce name, so he made the main character's name Totopolis and had everyone else always confused as to how to say it. <laughs> also features the mayor and his aide, who are obvious Siskel and Ebert ripoffs because they were mean about Independence Day. <laughs> uh, he also would go on to direct 2012, Day After Tomorrow, all sorts of disaster movies. Um, Moonfall. Moonfall! Which scored too high to appear on this podcast, but I think we're going to have to do it anyway. I love Moonfall so much. After we finished this, Moonfall popped up and I was like, ooh, I'm in, what is that? Watch it. (laughs) Yes, it's what if the moon crashed into the earth. It's amazing. And is the apex of another one of his movies, which is relevant to us as theater people, Anonymous, uh, which is about who actually wrote all of Shakespeare's plays. Mm. Because the secret through line in all of Roland Emmerich's movies is the crazy conspiracy theorist is actually right. Yeah, that's true. In the first movie, it's Judd Hirsch saying like, ah, you had Area 51 back then in the 50s, you knew. And he's like, oh, actually, yeah, that is true. That The aliens crash and we do that. Which, like, that's a screenwriting thing, whatever. Take some fiction and weave it in. But, like, all of his movies have an element of the person with the craziest worst theory is mm-hmm. the most right. Mm-hmm. Oh, Spoilers okay. for Moonfalls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this movie is written by, like, six people. Um, Roland Emmerich is one of the writers, as well as Dean Devlin, who is his writing partner and has worked with him for years, all the way from Stargate and 
like his earlier stuff up to the present. Uh, the one big exception is that Dean Devlin wrote and directed Geostorm. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Uh, watched that, right? I have not seen that, but I have heard of it. So yeah. <laughs> and then um, James A. Woods and Nicholas Wright both have credits on this and basically nothing else. I think they're actually <laughs> actors in this movie. Uh, and James Vanderbilt, who also worked on White House Down with Roland Emmerich, uh, also one of the writers for both Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Mm. Uh, and, but weirdly, also was one of the writers for the latest Scream, like the one that came out this year. Oh. Or like last okay. year, like which is supposed to be really good. Yeah. I did really like the new Scream. Scream has the weird distinction of secretly being the best slasher franchise, despite being the franchise that is about slasher movies. Because, yeah. like, three, a lot of people really like, but I think is agreed to be the weakest. But all of them have huge fan bases. Uh, so, yes, Allie, you have some info on this movie for us. I do. So, Independence Day Resurgence, I kept writing down Independence Day 2, but I think it's just Independence Day Resurgence. Yes. Um, it is rated PG-13. Mm-hmm. It is two hours on the dot, mm-hmm. um, and the tagline is, we had 20 years to prepare, so did they. <gasps> um, it got... I think this is the closest critic to audience we've ever received. Um, it got 29% critics ratings from 231 critics and 30% audience rating Ooh. out of 50,000 audience members. Yeah, that's... So that is a very uh, consistent, this movie was not great. Yep. <laughs> Fans also agreed that this was not what we wanted. Yeah. (laughs) And it's important to note that this isn't Independence Day 2, it is Independence Day Resurgence, because for a really, really long time, they were trying to make two movies at once. Like, that was Roland Emmerich's thing, was, I'm going to make Independence Day 2 and 3 back-to-back. And then it started creeping up on the 20th anniversary, and he's like, I have enough cachet with the 20 years that enough people like the original that I think I can get it made, but only one, which explains the ending of this movie being uh, a follow us on our next adventure. And that makes so much sense. Yeah. But yes, one of the biggest sticking points uh, obviously is Will Smith, who went on to become a box office star because of Independence Day one. Like, mm-hmm. Everything he touched was gold for, you know, 15 years until he tried to make his kid a star. Yeah. And was an after Earth. Was he, did he get into Scientology or was that just like a weird thing? He's, he's not explicitly a Scientologist. He just has weird philosophical beliefs that align with Scientology. So he's. He's like an agnostic Scientologist. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't give them money, but he's not 
like, against their ideas. I don't know, maybe Thetans exist, maybe they don't. Yeah, he... (laughs) I like the idea of Dianetics, but I can't (laughs) say for sure. Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) This movie... We start off with the movie desperately trying to remind you of why you liked the first one. As we hear clips of the president's speech, as we see the cosmos, uh, including a few pictures, like just a few little seconds of footage from the first movie of him, Bill Pullman, delivering the speech. Do you still remember the speech, Becky? Um, I mean, I still remember parts of it. Um, If I had just recently watched the movie, I could probably do the whole thing. But uh, I'm trying to figure out how it even starts. Uh, it starts off with the speaker going off. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mankind. That that word has a lot of new meaning today. <laughs> We're going to fight. We're going to survive. We're going to survive. <laughs> we'll make them uh, understand today is our independence day <laughs> no i think it's it i think it's and we're gonna is it i thought it was we sh- we're gonna show them that today is our independence yeah, day. Something like that. is that is that what it is okay uh no i had we just watched that movie i might have been able to do it because like that just and what i love about that speech is that it was written five seconds before bill pullman delivered it amazing yep that's awesome it, yeah, and so, like, the best part of that movie was at, almost completely ad-libbed. <laughs> I love when that happens, though. Yeah, same thing with uh, Blade Runner, with Rucker Howard doing the Tears in the Rain speech. There you go, quoting, or talking about Blade Runner again, when I've never seen Blade Runner. And I've and seen it once, and I hated it. you to watch it again. But. I have, I have tried so hard to get into Blade Runner, because it's one of those iconic ones, but every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh, okay. I think uh, oh, all right. <laughs> in many respects the problem with Blade Runner is that everything it did well other movies took and then did better so it seems boring in comparison. It's like sure. when people are like I can't watch Citizen Kane it's just so slow or whatever. And it's like well if you watched movies from the earlier 20s you would understand why Citizen Kane was so important but yes it is a harder watch because other movies have taken it and advanced. Rosebud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And or if in college you have a professor who's obsessed with the symbolism of that movie. So you literally watch it every day for a week <laughs> until your brain just what? can't. We spent we spent three weeks on Apocalypse Now. Uh, wow. Two weeks on Apocalypse Now and one week on the documentary of the making of Apocalypse Heart of Darkness. Now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so much so, yeah. time on one movie. Uh, how a film professor can destroy your love of a movie. Where did you go to school? <laughs> Allie, are you, did you seriously ask me that question? Oh, did you? You went. That's right. We went to the same school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I totally forgot. We were in theater together. We were in theater <laughs> together. Oh, my God. I've just been here in Minneapolis so long that I'm like, yeah, we know each other from, like, auditions or, yeah. No. We were in the vagina monologues together, weren't we? We were. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then completely. Clearly, I have had too much Arnold Palmer spiked to remember that we went to UWSP together. 
Oh, that's so, so funny. So which professor was that? That I don't remember their name, but there was it, it was a film. It was a film. Uh, yeah, because I didn't take class. Film. I was in an audio production major, okay. and and the year before I graduated, they changed our program, mm-hmm. and so I had to do, like, uh, beyond just audio production. I really wanted to get into radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I think you'd be great for radio. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I really, I miss some aspects of it and I've been trying to get back into it, but yeah. Um, I don't remember the professor's name. It was the only time I ever had this professor, but I remember just every, every, Hitchcock movie we watched, it just sucked life out of those movies. And so, like, I still love Hitchcock films, but they're never any of the ones that, like, 39 Steps. We didn't watch 39 Steps. Mm. We didn't ruin 39 Steps. We didn't ruin Lifeboat. (laughs) So there's still Hitchcock movies I can enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good, I guess. Uh, So, yeah, um... We meet up with Bill Pullman, who's gone crazy, and apparently he has to take medication for his crazies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know he's an old man now because he's got a cane and a big gray he's beard. He's very old. Because <laughs> it's been 20 years. He's so old. <laughs> he's so old. And they've rebuilt DC since it was destroyed with lasers, mm-hmm. and they rebuilt the Washington Monument, but each brick like has the name of someone who died during 1997 i guess yeah uh, which a lot of memorials you would have so many bricks based so off of what many. happens in that movie mm-hmm. uh and they rebuilt the white house but also they rebuilt the entirety of dc with like skyscrapers mm-hmm. and right now uh infamously dc you can't have skyscrapers uh the tallest thing in D.C. has to be the Washington Monument. Mm-hmm. So there's barely anything taller than, like, five stories there. And they're, like, I, I was under the impression that a lot of those spaces are, like, no-fly zones. They are. And the fact that they're just... I like. I was just sitting there going, "Where's the air traffic controller who is controlling these flights of these?" <laughs> so I appreciate that you said that about skyscrapers because I was like, "Wait a second, where where's this? Where's the infrastructure?" Here? Yes, and here we learned that in the past twenty years, we have integrated alien technology into every part of our lives. Yeah, and we've got hover cars everywhere. We have cold fusion. Mm-hmm. We have unlimited energy. Mm-hmm. We basically turned Earth into a utopia but one that is prepared for an inevitable war at any moment. Yes. Uh, because, uh, yeah, logically they understand, okay, we killed the aliens that were here, but there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also meet up with the two kids from the first movie, played by new actors, but Vivica A. Fox's kid and also Will Smith's step kid uh, is a fighter pilot now Mm -hmm. in the space air force and uh, the planetary (laughs) defense force or something and uh the president's daughter is now a speech writer for the new president or something but also she was she had been in was going to be a fighter pilot with uh not will smith and liam hemsworth who Liam Hemsworth will get to in a sec. 
And not only that, but her and the president, the current president, have a very close relationship. And yeah. that, like, she's sort of her mentor in some way. Like, it's really clear that, like, I feel like there was a deleted scene that kind of explains that, like, how they became that close. Because, like, it's it's unusually close for the rest of the tone of the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like she didn't have, well, her mother died in the first one, right. so... And, uh, yeah, so we meet up with Liam Hemsworth, and he's, like, a moon marine, but (laughs) he has the crappy job of driving a tugboat, I guess. (laughs) Uh, except he's secretly a hotshot moon pilot who's a loose cannon, (laughs) is gonna get everyone killed, but by golly, he gets the job done. But also, he's so boring, He's, like, really generically, like, yeah, the loose cannon, but, like, in a boring way. Like, I'm like, what does she see? He's And also, he's he's the fiancé of the former president's daughter. Yes. Patricia, a.k.a. Patty. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I just want to say, the president never calls her pumpkin, and it would have been a really good emotional (sighs) moment if at the end when he's about to sacrifice himself if he instead of said go uh, get him patty if he said go get him pumpkin thank you thank you like of all the homages and all of the hints and leans to they do in this movie and it's just it's the most independence day for homage to an independence day four movie you've ever seen Mm -hmm. i don't know how else to explain it it's just so but they and they drop the pumpkin. They drop so many of yeah. those great emotional. He beats never calls her pumpkin. She never calls him a liar. Uh, yes. Ah, uh, that that is what is missing in this movie is all of those little emotional uh, beats that we had. The the relationships between. Uh, I can't. Why the am characters I, uh, like the the Jeff Goldblum's yeah. character. I can't think of his last name. It's uh, Levithan. Yep. Levithan. Levithan. Levinson, there we go, and his dad, and like those beautiful moments where, like, you know, and between him and his wife, and those they dropped all of those beautiful connections. Because we needed to introduce an entirely new alien race. (sighs) Ugh. I mean, the whole movie, and you don't get, uh, you don't get the dad and his and his and his father together until like the last half hour 40 minutes of the movie that was the best relationship in the independence day was him and his dad driving around hooking up with the president hooking up with all these people just being in the right place at the right time to solve the problem and it was their journey of them together and it's just oh you lose all of that yeah and this movie is missing a secret sauce which the best roland emmerich movies have uh which he almost had it with Contact, or not Contact, um, Stargate, where okay. you have a nerdy guy and an action hero, and you put them together, and then you have the brains of the brawn, and you get some differing opinions, but they're working together. And then Independence Day, he has Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, and he has like the perfect ideal version of what he wants there where he has one guy who's the smart one and one guy who's the doer, and they they bounce off each other. And this doesn't have that. Like, they introduce that John Oliver-looking guy to yeah. try and be, like, the nerdy one. But oh, he's the nerdy the, or one. Or the geeky best friend who yeah. has the crush on the other pilot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and they they just introduce so many characters hoping some of them are memorable, but they're all like pastiches of characters from the first one, like the geeky best friend pilot. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. He very much to me felt like a Harry Connick Jr. fill in. Oh yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. Well and and his whole shtick is that he he uh is there's not enough girls on the moon base. Mm-hmm. Yep. And somebody's got to date him eventually. And, oh, I've got a crush on somebody and my heart is singing. And, oh, uh, and that's his whole deal. He says there's only 36 girls on the moon base. That is so many women. I mean, I don't know how many people are on the moon. <laughs> that is so many women to strike out with. Because it, <laughs> it sounds like he struck out with all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in which case, like, that's a you thing, dude. You have to do some, like, soul searching to be like, what is going on with me? And I... This moon base is terribly designed. Like, they are only now, 20 years later, installing one big laser. Mm-hmm. That, uh, they've had, again, 20 years to make. And... We have nothing except that one laser on the moon to protect us. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have? And I, also, they put in a terrible spot because the moon's in tidal lock with the Earth, so you know the face always faces the same way. And they put it on the side that faces Earth instead of like on the top <laughs> or on the up far side where it would be able to see things coming faster. Well, clearly they needed you there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, as we learn in Moonfall, the moon has other things that it can do to help save us. Yes. Yes, that is true. And, yeah, uh, we learn that Area 51 has become the base for all Earth defense and also is a prison for all the aliens that were captured. Because that's never a bad idea. Right? Never. And that never backfires. And so for 20 years after the mothership blew up, every alien in captivity has been catatonic. And now two days later, uh, like they've all suddenly started freaking out and they're all very agitated. Which, have they been being fed? Like somehow by people every single day? Yeah. Why are they still in yeah. their biomechanical suits? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they don't need those. They should have been removed because they're giant weapons. Uh, mm. Have they been, like, ha- have people been massaging their muscles to help prevent atrophy? <laughs> <laughs> because everyone who wakes up from a 20-year coma in this movie is just hopping around. Even right, people right. who had their necks <laughs> broken and killed in the first one. <laughs> Which, that I think is the biggest F.U. to fans of the first movie, is just, yeah, Brent Spider's back. Also, he was secretly gay the whole time and had a relationship with that character you didn't know about. I, you know what, I will say that that relationship, that, that relationship was like, like the, was like the two to three minutes of this movie that were watchable. Like there's like I say there's like 10 to 15 minutes of this movie that are, that is watchable. And I would say that they're their relationship is part of what is watchable because it's just he just he sat there every day and and watered orchids for him while he was in a coma mm-hmm. 
and just uh, just the sweet and then i uh, and you know and then just dies at the end just the just just every day and then for two days he gets him back and then he dies so yeah brent spiner um best known as data on next generation mm. uh he he is known to be a very big ham and a goofball which is why it was always weird that he was the emotionless stoic robot because uh he on the cast was the one who would do the pranks and would always be like <laughs> mugging in between scenes and stuff uh we've seen him once before on this podcast which i don't actually don't know if we've done it on the podcast but in a movie that we've seen he was the bad guy in master of disguise oh which, oh yeah which i don't remember if we did that on the podcast or if that's just one that we watched i think watched. we just watched that i don't think we did that on the podcast uh yeah, and he's just, he's doing something in this movie. <laughs> he's, he is saying a lot of stuff. He is moving around. Yep, he's very active. He, and it's just, he's playing the character of his character from the first movie. And he's, and it's just, it's, it's like a grotesque caricature of, of all the characters from the original movie. He's yeah, got because... a lush mane. And he does. <laughs> in the first one, he was, like, competent, but strange. Like, as if he were a genius that was in an isolated, top-secret military base his entire life. And in this, he is a straight-up mad scientist. Mm -hmm. Like, who developed a laser that accidentally blew up part of the base in 95. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then he and, and and then they have him like he's so fr no he's so frustrating because you're absolutely right he loses all of his competent his competency he loses all of his ability like the thing that I find so funny about this movie is there's all this foreshadowing just endless amounts of foreshadowing that something terrible is going to happen and 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 part of that is listening to the people but when you're when one of the people you need to listen to and is acting weird has no competency like you take away all of that competency of his, of his person like of course like it's just like it's so frustrating because you're just like just listen to him just he like obviously this is a weird thing that's going on just listen because mm -hmm. there's so much foreshadowing foreshadowing just it's endless foreshadowing yeah, and so yeah jeff goldblum is the director of like planetary defense or something they never say exactly what his agency is he seems to work with the un and he i guess because he helped blow up the ship everyone's just like yeah you know the most about aliens now and it's just no he just noticed the code that was it that's it he understood their programming language but he has gone on this, been invited to a vague African country. It just says Central Africa, which yeah, I wrote yeah. down. I was like, really? Because would you say Central Europe or Central Asia? No, you would not. <laughs> like, yep, it's just a vague African country. Central North America. We don't want to say which country we're thinking about, but it's the kind that has a warlord. Right, yeah. Uh, and... Well, what I love in this movie is that because of where the mothership lands, it covers... Because it, it starts to enter our atmosphere around 
Japan mm-hmm. or you know, and then and then it co- and by the time it's done it's over Paris. So it basically just blocks out Europe. Like yep. that's <laughs> so because because Americans can be the only white people in the movie. Well, that is the most important thing. <laughs> I think that what they say is that they're um it's like going directly over the Atlantic and it's covering the entire the of uh, the Atlantic Ocean. And I think what they're implying is that they are putting the drill directly over the Marianas Trench. Sure, yeah. So that it has the least amount of space to go. Even though, again, their plasma thing is like... uh, Their plasma drill is like a mile wide in diameter or something. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what they said, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Golem is in Africa, and he's been invited by the new leader of these people after his father died. And this group of people has been doing a guerrilla war against the only surviving aliens for over a decade. And Mm -hmm. apparently he's managed to learn some of their language. He knows all their weaknesses. And their weakness is that you stab them in the back. You gotta get them. You gotta get them from the back. You use machetes and you kill them from behind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is one thing that I wanted to point out that upset me because it it ties back into like they took away everything that was great about the characters is that they have this flirty sexual tension between uh, Jeff Goldblum's character and this new other scientist character. And I'm just sitting here going, what happened to your wife? You loved your wife to the point of obsession. You punched a senator or a representative, (laughs) a federal offense, because you thought he was sleeping with her. You stalked your wife and all of a sudden now I'm supposed to believe 20 years later you just don't even remember her name and five years after your divorce you were still wearing your wedding ring and you got remarried like it was implied Yes. And now she's just gone. No mention now of her. Now she's gone. No explanation but whatsoever. Honestly, but you have but you have enough history with this other woman to have deep sexual tension with I her. I prefer that they didn't bother trying to say like throw in a line of what happened to her because that would have just come There's no good way to introduce that information. Pancaked by a drunk dump truck driver. Yep. <laughs> I just, I really, like, if she had, like, if she had died, I'd have expected him to be a sad widower, widower or something like that. But he returned that sexual tension. And that's what bothers yeah. me. <laughs> so something we learn about this ship is that it had been drilling uh, when it landed. It's the only ship that landed. And once it did, it started drilling uh, with a plasma cannon or a plasma drill or something. And, yeah, so, but no one has been able to investigate this area because the locals have not allowed, which I guess diplomatic relations still exist enough that America didn't say, no, we own this country now because you have an intact alien ship, (laughs) that we respected the sovereignty of this war-torn nation. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a war fought about that that we've missed. Ah. Yeah, like, the story of this guy, this general, is far more interesting than anything we get in this movie. Yeah. Like, leading your people on this... uh... Yeah, had this movie been about his journey to, like, getting to this point, and then, uh, you know, that would have been a much better movie. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, 
we learn that they had sent a distress signal. Yes. Uh, this ship. Mm-hmm. When the mothership was blown up. And 20 years later, someone has finally answered. Uh-huh. Ruh-roh. And no one in charge seems to care. They're like, well, we gotta do the celebration today and we'll worry about that tomorrow. Uh, but also, good on these aliens for having a good understanding of irony to show up <laughs> on the day of our 20th right? celebration. <laughs> I do appreciate the fact that, like, the aliens just have something against the 4th of July. Just, just like, that. And over 20 years, they made sure to factor in leap years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, rightfully so. Like, uh, yeah, 4th of July is... Listen, these aliens know how to tell a story, yeah. is I think the point. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so on the moon base, uh, the best pilots from every nation... Uh, are there the legacy squad and they're there because they're going to fly their nation's flags behind their space jets uh for the we killed the alien celebration mm-hmm. and one of them notably is a chinese pilot who our nerdy guy falls in love with instantly and her uncle is like the general of the moon base mm-hmm. And when I saw them, I was like, wait a minute. Is this the start of Roland Emmerich pandering to China? Because Moonfall <laughs> gets worse. Yeah. Like, Moonfall China's like the hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, he... And Hollywood in general has, as we've been trying to increase movies that are shown in China as a big market movies will like iron man 3 included scenes that were only in the chinese version and they're taking actors from china and giving them minor roles and yeah that's what i think was happening here uh was that he needed some extra funding so he's like hey maybe china will kick in a few bucks if i have a chinese star and have them speak mandarin and show how heroic they are which, again, I, it's not a I, bad thing. It's like, we do the exact same thing for the American military in any movie that has an F-15. Yeah, I really... Well, because this movie came out in 2016, and, and I, I mean, if you're remaking Independence Day, you, you to remake it without that America feeling, mm-hmm. um, and I just... That, that is one thing Resurgence, I think, really has a an undertone of is America, you know, and fighting and, and, and America is the best and we're going to defeat the aliens that there was a little bit more camaraderie in the first mm-hmm. one that, cause like, yeah, they do kind of give that homage to the, especially at the beginning with him leading the moon base and everything like that. But I think the undertone of it is just so American military. Yeah. We're following it. It, when when they when, like there's literal there's scenes in that movie that they look like an uh, an ad for the marines. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean we follow American heroes, so like yeah, we're seeing their perspective, but we do see like other nations around the Morse code and getting the information. Like the Americans have a way to take them down. Well, it's about bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah where the hell have they been this whole time I, I that's one of my favorite lines for the movie <laughs> uh, about bloody time 
So uh, we learn that Liam Hemsworth, uh, he put, uh, I don't even remember the Dylan? Dylan. Yeah, he put Dylan at risk. Mm -hmm. uh, He almost almost killed him. He almost killed him trying to pull a stunt Mm -hmm. to prove that he was the best pilot because he wanted to lead this crew because it's all he has. But he didn't realize that he's royalty. We're just orphans. Oh, gosh. (sighs) You're the only family I got. This was a discussion between Charlie and Jake. Charlie Miller and Jake Morrison, which if he wasn't Jake Sullivan, like that would be the most like generic white guy name. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I know Jake Sullivan is from uh, Avatar, but in my mind all generic white guys are Jake Sullivan. <laughs> but this guy's Jake Morrison and his best friend is Charlie Miller. Yeah, um so we go meet up with the president again and he, or not with the president, um, we're at the uh, African leader mm-hmm. and he's talking to the psychiatrist who specializes in people who had a psychic connection with aliens. Uh, and she's like, look at this symbol. What does it mean? And he's like, well, I had... The other day, I had the strongest vision I've ever had, and then I drew this. <laughs> and apparently, he's managed to learn most of an alien language mm-hmm. in 20 years just from. I don't know. Did they steal books from the aliens? I don't know. Like, maybe they somehow. I don't know. Like,. I mean, they had access to the ship. Yeah. They had access to a ship. They had access to all of their files. And at some point, you know, I mean, I feel like in other movies we talk about how we learn alien. uh, What's the one? Arrival. um, Amy. Arrival. Yeah, with Amy Adams. I, You know, that whole notion of like, I, I feel like. That, that the the part where they learned the language and the way that they did that I think that's part of one of the most like I said, it, it ties back to what you were saying earlier it's part of the most interesting part of this movie the world building of this movie is is really interesting and there's some there's I think they take some cheap cuts here and there but there's some really fun interesting stuff here just told by the most boring characters mm-hmm. that you could not be bothered by <laughs> I'm just imagining like a My Fair Lady situation with the uh the leader and and an alien (laughs) (laughs) the rain in spain was mainly on the plane in the plane (laughs) yes the moon is seemingly being attacked by the very thing that this guy drew in his vision uh and we decide to attack it even though jeff goldblum says no this i'm telling you this isn't this is the different technology and i would agree because this one appeared out of a wormhole and like they did not like they very distinctly flew towards us we had forewarning and but they're like oh they've already destroyed the saturn base so i guess we also have a defense base or something on the moons of Saturn. And see, and I didn't know if that was Saturn as in Saturn moon, or if that was like another, cause you know, the satellite. Yeah. yeah. Or if there was like another 
if Saturn was a code name. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't really, yeah, they don't see. And that's all the stuff I want to know. I want it. Like I want the expanse Mm -hmm. version of, of all the world building. I want to know all of the politics of all the stuff that's going on. I feel like it would be really confusing if they just started naming like bases after planets. Yeah. And I get that we had like Saturn (laughs) five moon rockets. And stuff, but right? Oh, were there actually things named? <laughs> well, in like the yeah. '60s, but and that's what I mean is that like, did we go back to that, or do we, or, or are we actually to Saturn now? Which is entirely possible, but it doesn't. Yeah, I don't based understand off of how it. quickly you can fly t- from Earth to the Moon, like we'd be able to get to Saturn in like less than a month, definitely. Mm. Yeah. And anyway. um we blow up this sphere and everyone celebrates, even though it went down with one shot, which is like <laughs> yeah. way too easy. Ugh. And then they're like, no, we won't investigate the wreckage now. We've got a celebration to do. Right, right. They just abandoned this wreckage. Like this, the what? what's his name? Liam Hemsworth character has plenty of time to go to steal a ship, go to Earth, come back and find the wreckage. Mm-hmm. Let's hope to God we did the right thing. <laughs> blowing up that random alien that showed up. <laughs> Judd Hirsch is in this movie. And... <laughs> Finally! The star of the movie shows up. Like, the best part of Independence Day shows up. And we're, what, 45 minutes in? Yeah, it's... And he's reading excerpts from his book to, like, a nursing home, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And he's like... He, like, calls out and a very old man, like, on oxygen for falling asleep. And he's like, oh, you're with us? Like, dude, he's, he's like, two days away from dying. Like, let, let him sleep. And for some reason, Judd Hirsch is not allowed, was not invited to, like, the Independence Day celebration. Even though he was a part of the team that, you know helped save the earth i mean he was taking care he was taking care of the children at area 51 while everyone was fighting and was leading a prayer i just here's the thing is that like i something has happened in this family something has gone wrong with the levinsons something has gone terribly terribly wrong and we're not talking about it because he has left his wife and no longer cares he's out flirting with all he doesn't talk to his dad they used to go have chess matches yeah, they would play chess. every week in the park they, like live together how have basically. you only seen him on thanksgiving now this something has happened in this family and i do not like it i do not like what is happening with this yeah family. and like judd hirsch he found religion again during independence day and learned to accept his wife's death and in this he's just a guy with a fishing boat who likes to say schmuck a lot and putt <sighs> yeah and well and but then they you know i mean later on then he's gonna you know he's gonna get children yep you know because we needed something job. for him to do if you cut him out of this movie the movie would not change. Mm-hmm. Like, right. he has no effect on the plot. He's just there. Uh, also, we get a cameo from Robert Loja. Uh, yes. Because we got to be like, and thank you to our heroes who helped save the day. Thank you, General. 
And he stands up and waves and sits down and <laughs> I guess gets paid you barely recognize him. Rates. You barely recognize him because they've got him CGI'd so old that you barely <laughs> recognize him. Robert Loja. Uh, we learned that the way that you get aliens is by getting them from behind. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And while the flags are being flown in front of the moon laser... Uh, suddenly everyone who has a psychic connection with the aliens suffers immense mind pain. Okay, I appreciate that Bill Pullman is the previous president. Like, I totally get that. But you cannot explain to me how he got up that close to that podium for an event like that. He is supposed to be locked away under medical care. Mm -hmm. How did he get to that podium for that in Washington, D.C. for that event? How did he get past security? I don't know. Yep. Like, even if it's just he's the most famous man on the planet because he helped save us and he was the president. It's still like, gonna need to see an ID. I need a pass. (laughs) Like, you can't park Your name here. isn't on the list, sir. Your name isn't on the list. Oh, I j- oh and is that before uh, Jeff Goldblum goes into the rocket and is like, ah, and like turns and like shakes his head like, That's what I, I don't like yeah. this fusion drive yeah. at all. Yeah, uh, yeah, because you have to have a scene where Jeff Goldblum is a versa rogue pilot. Like that's, that's the dynamic. That's their homage to Independence yeah, Day. Yeah, that's why I wrote down fusion drive. It was just also, like, no I, reaction. <laughs> like, I mean, I know he was reacting, but it was like, what is, is this like a, ah, I'm on a roller coaster and I don't want to be. Like, it wasn't like, I'm going at the speed of, er, just, ah, and, ah, 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 ah. enough, like, you know, apparently it's not driving him backward enough to where he can't turn his neck and then shake his head like, ah, ah, I don't like this. And just want to say that, Becky, I appreciate that you keep referring to it as Independence Day 4, uh, recognizing oh, yeah, that it's... Oh, yeah, because ID4. <laughs> which is the worst acronym ever, because there's no 4 in it, but they just... I know! <laughs> the posters for the first Independence Day would be like, ID4, four. and then it would say July 4th, uh, Yeah, and that's, it's Independence Day 4, and it's just always been that way in my brain. I did not know that. I, I wrote down ID4 Resurgence. Oh my gosh. I did too. Wow. <laughs> I wrote down Independence Day 2 Resurgence, which apparently is wrong. I actually, when I looked it up to see where I could watch it, I put in ID4 too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the... This giant ship is coming in close while Jeff Goldblum's on the moon at the wreckage site. Uh, Bill Pullman is suffering from Havana Syndrome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, like, the ship is cloaked, I guess. Like, it looks semi-transparent or something. It's reflective. Which... It looks really reflective, and so maybe that's part of their whole stealth But also, technology. what use is stealth when you have a gravitational pull large yeah. enough to pull <laughs> ships out of the sea? So, I, I, the one thing I love about this scene, because while, while the ship is coming in, you then have them in the rescue to get the rescue for the wreckage yeah. of the 
fear. Um, and what I love is that this is just, it's just reminded me so much of Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the second, not the first, not the pilot episode, but the second episode where they go to the moon for the first time yeah. and she loses the keys and, and they're flying away from the, from the uh, moon farmers <laughs> and, because they've collected them with the magnet. I just, it just, uh, I just can't watch that and not think of that Futurama episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, they get pulled up into the gravity of the ship, and I guess they're safe now, even though everything else is being pulled into gravity. They're not worried about this debris that's coming at them. Yeah, nobody they, reacts to anything. It seems like very low stakes. And they get a front row seat as this ship, like, grazes mountains and yeah enters orbit and like uh, yeah it's just and i will say though that like i do love the visual of it because it does pay like it does pay that like respect to the original movie because that was some of the it's they're not great graphics now but they still hold up and are better Mm -hmm. than some of the graphics we use today and i do i love the way that they did that instead of it being a beam that shot down and shot outward it was this pull upwards towards the ship i I appreciated that visual and for some reason the ship decides to scrape the moon (laughs) (laughs) even though it's in space they could go literally anywhere (laughs) <laughs> to get around the moon, but they're like, nope, shortest distance through the top of the moon. Well, to be fair, the moon is our biggest defense uh, system. Well, in space. it's apparently our second biggest because we have a planetary defense system made of satellites, but for True. some reason we True. decided it needed a 10 second warm up before yeah. the fire. <laughs> Because that was the technology, because because that's that's what it was like in the original movie. It took a while for them, but we didn't improve on that at all. Didn't improve on that at all mm-hmm. in twenty years. I mean, maybe it was a student alien driver. <laughs> maybe that's why they straight the moon. Uh, and clutch can be hard to figure. We out. start seeing that biker came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see the destruction that you expect from a Roland Emmerich movie. Uh, but we start off with Chinese landmarks getting destroyed this time mm. instead of like mm-hmm. New York or something. And we also destroy London. Um, and we also have the Burj Khalifa gets destroyed. Is it Jeff Goldblum that says it's they always go after the landmarks? Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> they, literally like the mon- lampshades yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, they like to get the landmarks. I, I put that quote in here because there was because this 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 scene where they're the conversation of them in this is some of the best zingers because that I, I, the original independence day had really great zingers and it's just, they put all of them in this scene, which they just put like 90% of the zingers in this movie are in this scene, which totally, it makes no sense for them to be watching millions of people die in front of their (laughs) eyes. And for them to just be like, Oh, they like going after those landmarks. What what comes up must come down. Hey, did you pee your pants? Because I peed my pants. <laughs> like, uh, like whether a marina gets destroyed and you hear a tugboat go brr, 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 or a foghorn. It's also so teal and orange. It's very There's teal and so orange. so much teal and so much orange. Uh, Judd Hirsch is on a boat and he's trying to outrun a tidal wave. Uh, Vivica A. Fox, who is a 
Oh. Uh, she became a doctor. Mm-hmm. And even, like, a hospital administrator or something. Yeah, like, she she is really high up there. And it makes me wonder, was she going to medical school while she was dancing? Because that makes all the sense in the world if mm-hmm. she was already going to medical school. But if she wasn't going to medical school until after this all happened, there is no way no. she is an administrator well, of a hospital I mean, within how many years. people have died in the last 20 years? Uh, I, well, you know what? I, and... Yeah, Okay. <laughs> I, like it makes sense that she would want to be a doctor or something because she was trying to care for the first oh, lady gosh, stuff yeah. in the first movie. So mm. it makes sense as an extension of her character that she like was able to stop being a exotic dancer and because she's like says that like she does it for her kid and like it's good money. Right. And I, here's the thing, the transition from Exotic Dancer to, I completely understand that. I think it makes total sense. I just, I think she must have already been going to medical school. Yeah. Yeah. But also, <laughs> she just, she had to. She was it. married to the guy who blew up the biggest ship. And that's going to open what? some they- doors for you. What made me so mad was that they killed him off. They, they, they. It was a throwaway line in the movie, and he died in a in a test. Fight. Yeah, which is like, just have him have cancer. Like, yeah. Don't Ugh. have him die because he wanted to test the ship or whatever. Uh, or have him die fighting like a last wave that we didn't see, like one last platoon or something, and he saved the president not a yeah he died because he was a bad pilot all along what do you know yeah <laughs> yeah and it's just it's kind of like with the you know they don't explain what happens to jeff goldblum's wife and it's like okay you know what you honestly you could have just not explained this too for all the <laughs> all the good you did with that explanation so yeah uh <laughs> the pilots that were flying the flags were are told to return to earth and to go to area 51 to regroup and Dylan's like, no, I can't. I gotta see something first. And he flies to Washington, D.C. because he knows his mom's working at a hospital. And he happens to see her on the roof. And he's like, Marine 3, I need you to go. Someone at the hospital needs immediate evac. And they get a baby on there, and then the new mother, and then Vivica Fox is just a second too late to get in, so he watches her fall to her death. <laughs> what was the point? What is the point of that death? Why couldn't, you know what? You could have saved Vivica A. Fox. You made a choice. The point of that death is because <sighs> she didn't want to be in the movie anymore. She was <laughs> like, yeah, I'll be there for one day of filming. But no more. You know what? You could have still saved her and still not had her in the rest of the movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. And now you're safe and go live your life. And then, like, it almost, uh, like, it's almost clever. I don't know what I think of it, but the uh, rubble that the foot of this giant ship, because it's got these three feet landing on the earth to brace itself. Mm-hmm. and all the rubble that it's been pulled up stops right at the back of the White House, and the White House doesn't get destroyed, and in fact, the flag on top of it only bends a little bit. Which, America! Which is, like, almost a brilliant subversion of the first one, because, like, the most iconic thing in that movie is we blew up the White House mm-hmm. before every movie yeah. did that. Right, right. 
I, you know what, uh, you, when you say it, like, like there's this part of it, because there's so much America overtones of this that it's hard to, but you're absolutely right. They blew it up in the first one, and everybody blew it up afterwards, so they specifically didn't blow it up in that one. Makes perfect sense. Well, and then they also blew up all of those landmarks from other countries, too. Yeah. Right. Which, they didn't really blow up other countries' landmarks. They blew up the or White House. Or not blew them up, but they... Yeah, destroyed. They got pulled up into the gravity and yeah, destroyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like London in particular got hit hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in the first one, like they destroy uh, the White House and Washington Monument and uh, Los Angeles, the big spirally star building there, mm. and uh, New York gets destroyed. Uh, but yeah, we don't see like the Mount Rushmore getting destroyed or something. We should. It should be. Well, because that's too, that's too far inland. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, let's see, we're at Area 51, and Bill Pullman has gone rogue and is released one of the alien prisoners into a room with him, mm-hmm. and he's like, Ugh. we're gonna interrogate it. I, and... I did not know what he was doing, and he, like, smashed up against the window, and I was like, what did you expect? He expected that, honestly. That's what happened to Brett Spiner in yeah. the first one. Oh, I really? see. Yes. I don't. Me. Oh, yeah. And that's why he's like, just get as many answers as you can. He knows what he's doing when he goes in there. Okay. He's, he knows that. And he knows that he's probably going to die doing okay. it. But again, he's been crazy for 20 years. And he has a cane. And no so. one's listened to yeah, him. Yeah. And he manages to learn that there is a she. There is some ruler uh, some queen that mm-hmm. they answer to. And uh, he's getting strangled, and after the interrogation goes on, they're like, okay, that's enough. And once again, they shoot the glass, mm-hmm. except this time it's with <laughs> alien guns, but they don't kill the alien this uh-uh. time. And also, this alien seems like four feet taller than the ones in the first one, uh, but they don't get it, and it like climbs on the ceiling and then uses its tentacles to grab a gun from them, and now it's got a gun. I wrote, ho, 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 <laughs> now I have a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Thank you. Uh, should be noted, Allie does not like Die Hard. I don't, I'm, and... I'm sorry, Becky, I don't like Die Hard. No, you know what? You like and dislike whatever you want. It does not affect me in any way. Excellent. Yeah. I appreciate and that. So... Then the other people with guns, guns are now ineffective against him because he has a gun. And right. much like rock, paper, scissors, to defeat alien with a gun, you need African warlord with a machete. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the most interesting character in this whole movie, and we literally scratch the mm-hmm. surface. And he yep, stabs him in the back. He's like, I told you, you have to strike them from behind. And also he cuts off the head of the like, actual creature inside the biomechanical armor. Mm -hmm. We need to get the sphere open, uh, and we try a, uh, a saw, and it breaks right away. Uh, Because he, because this goes back to that lack of competency. Also, he's not wearing pants. Right. Tell me a scientist that just goes in and starts, I just, Mm. He does things, but he has a good reason for doing them, and you never give him good reasons for doing the things that he's doing in this movie. Yep, uh, Doctor Oaken. Mm-hmm. That's I was trying to remember his character name. And 
Then we have someone explain why they're drilling to the center, and it's because they're going after our magnetic core. Our molten core. Yeah, our molten core. And can I just say that the real heroes of this movie are the treasure hunters mm-hmm. who are at the side of, because they're in the area, they're, they decide to stay because they want to try to get the um, treasure that they're after. And then, and they're just happen to be like a couple of miles away from where the aliens start drilling into the, and they, and they're like, you have to pay us a hundred million dollars <laughs> and we'll do this for you. And they're like, fine, because if you die, if we all die, there's n- Money will have zero meaning. And somehow... $100 million has zero meaning. Somehow their technology used for finding ships also lets them know how close the aliens are to reaching the core. Right! (laughs) And also, what is the core in this context? Like, does that mean until they're through the outer cross, through the mantle? No, listen... Listen, they put up they put up a little graphic on the screen so you could see where the drill was, where the core was, and where they were at. Like, I don't know what else you want, Rick. That should have explained it. Which, for by you. the way, much better movie, the core. <laughs> I think that scored way too high to appear on this, but I would one hundred percent recommend you watch the core. Oh, I oh no no I've definitely seen the core. I I see I love apocalyptic. I love action movies. I love end of the days types movies i really do i've seen them i've i've seen so many of them (laughs) so uh at air 51 we've come up with our plan and the core is 40 percent by the way what's that 40 percent 40 percent for the core okay um and we're in the locker room and we have a moment between liam hemsworth and uh dylan and Dylan's looking at a picture of Will Smith photoshopped next to Vivica Fox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I there was this part of me that really, like, I know that that photo is photoshopped, but there's this part of me that's like, they were on set one day and somebody took a like, photo of them. Like, it may have been a publicity photo, like, for and a I just, Entertainment Weekly and that, or something. That And you know what? It could be completely photoshopped, and I'm just never going to believe it, because that photo was taken on set, and it's from the original movie. <laughs> See, I feel like it would have had to have been an actual photo, just because otherwise they would have had to get, like, Will Smith's consent to get to photoshop him in. Mm-hmm. As opposed depending to on, depending on what he gave away for rights to yeah. his likenesses for the movie, mm-hmm. possibly. But not. yeah, if it had been like a photo that they had already taken, he probably would have signed away the rights to that particular yeah. photo. Anyway, uh, Dylan <laughs> is explaining what they're going to do, and he gives a terrible speech that tries to be inspiring. <laughs> oh, there were so many attempts at inspirational speeches in this movie. Uh, it was adorable. <laughs> and their plan is also terrible. It's, okay, we're gonna s- have some drones take down the shield temporarily, and you protect these seven bombers, and then we're gonna drop a cold fusion bomb. And that's our plan. Uh, it's a very direct plan. Uh, not John Oliver is worried about how <laughs> he's going... Yes. Floyd is worried about how he's going to protect himself, so he asks the warlord to give him one of his katana blades and teach him everything he knows. Mm-hmm. And this is the buddy cop duo that we need. This yeah. is that, that is that, that's that duo that they are trying to recreate, and they did it with these two ridiculously minor characters. Mm-hmm. And they're the most interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see them go on to fight all of the, um, 
you know, all of the surviving aliens from a crash ship. I want to, you know, I want to see them. That's what I want to see next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and then we're meeting up with the drunk sailors that have been uh, drafted into uh, monitoring the core. And, like, yeah, they want $100 million, but, like, what good is money anymore? Like, mm-hmm. is money... Do we still have money in this post-scarcity world where we have unlimited energy and space flight? Yeah. Like, I guess people still... Capitalism survived still. And they want that hundred million in gold. But if they don't do it, like, then what? They're just gonna let the Earth be destroyed <laughs> because they didn't get money? But, oh, well, I mean, if you got something the government wants, sell it to them, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Well, and I think that what's really interesting is that we've the we the idea of like the um the generous future, like the Star Trek future, how much that like especially with the recreation of uh, Enterprise, how much that has changed into like a global idea of the future to an Americanized version of a global idea <laughs> for the future, <laughs> a capitalist. We've we've. We've been making that subtle change for the last, I would say, couple of decades of, like, the future doesn't look like that Star Trek future where we accommodate people with differences, where we don't have money, where we don't have scarcity. It's that it's a perfect world because of capitalism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I just always remember that the first time the Ferengi are introduced on Next Generation, they get, it's, uh, they're referenced as like our history's Yankee traders and Riker is like Riker is like, oh, this is who we used to be. And that's yeah. who the Ferengi are. <laughs> They're us now. Uh which also we didn't mention earlier, uh, although Becky went to college with Allie, I would happen to be in a show with Becky mm-hmm. uh a few yes. years about eight years ago. Uh which was a Klingon Christmas Carol where we both got to play Klingons and speak in a fictional language for the entire play. <laughs> I'm afraid I don't remember much anymore. I, to be fair, I did do more Klingon yeah, shows after that. Yeah, because you also and did It's also an did Honorable it, Life. Yeah, I did that as well. I played Mary. I know Kapla means victory. Yes. That's <laughs> all I know. Kapla. Yep. <laughs> And, yeah, so we get this big dog fighting scene, and it's just loud and bright, and there's a lot of stuff happening, and none of it matters. Yeah, because you know it's going to fail, because you're only halfway through the movie. Ships are blowing up. <laughs> Apparently the individual uh, fighter ships don't have shields this time. Well, that's great. Uh, even though that was a huge thing in the first one that they all had individual shields uh and then they're like hey there's a door open let's just fly inside and blow up that's our plan it worked the last time (laughs) and apparently this is what the queen is expecting she's baiting them to come inside and not blow her up because she has uh, little drones that put shields around the fusion bombs so that when they set them off, they are harmless. Yeah, they yeah they neutralize them, basically, because they contain the explosion. Which, from a screenplay perspective, it is good to set up that these shields exist and can uh, contain this explosion 
for the third act when we use that same strategy. Except it comes across as more, aha, but you didn't know that secretly rock doesn't cover paper. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, they, uh, they get inside, they eject, and they find out that they have their own ecosystem inside the ship. Which reminded me of Moonfall. Mm-hmm. But also, this thing is, like, the size of the moon. Yeah. It is 3,000 miles across and has its own gravity. Like, it is... It landing would cause irreparable damage to the Earth. Yes. It did cause irreparable Yeah. It took out almost an entire continent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, they... We see... They attack Cheyenne a Mountain, where the president and most of the uh, important people in the American government are being protected All inside the a giant in mountain. the line of succession. <clears throat> Which is not what you do. The first thing you do <laughs> is you get the vice president and the president in very different locations. Uh, and they are attacked and for some reason the aliens have decided they're going to do this on foot. So they're doing a ground incursion into this base even though they have a, you know, laser that can destroy anything. And when they break in, the president says, there will be no peace, which is a callback, and it's badass, but it's like, no! You are a terrible president if that's what you're going to say seconds before dying to an alien force. (laughs) Uh, Which is then followed by uh, William Fickner being sworn in. He's just a general or something. Yeah. But he's apparently the highest ranking member left in the military. So they're like, yep, everyone in the line of succession is dead. So they're here to swear you in. He's he's the designated survivor. He's the Keith or Sutherland. That's why yeah. you don't put all the people in the same place. But yeah, also, he's not part of the line of succession, though. Like, he's mm. not part of the cabinet. He's not the president How pro, do you know? pro tempore of the Senate. He is a general. He's not even, like, the head of the Joint Chiefs or anything. Well, maybe the head of the Joint Chief was in I Cheyenne mean, Mountain with the president. What was, what was the one where the, the, where the Department of Education representative became the new leader? What was that? Is that, that was Madam President show. or something? No, 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 no. It was, it was an alien, and I can't think of the name right now. Battlestar Galactica. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that word just completely left my brain. So, yeah, um... Then we get the one scene with Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum together, and they're just in this big open hangar, and Bill Pullman gives an impromptu rousing speech, speech that's not actually speech. very rousing. Although I am going to learn it just to mess with people. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I wonder, I, I would be interested to see how many speeches you take from this movie. And incorporate it into your... <laughs> uh, you know what? Given the fact that I've done speeches from Mars Attacks, Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> I, I've, do, I've, done, I've done them from everything. So, you know, I have no problem stealing this Excellent. one. Uh, and they... Uh, so the warlord is looking at some sheets of letters that we want to know what it means, which I don't know where we got these. Like, writings? Uh, the writings are what Dr. Oaken had written all over his room while he was spacing okay. out. Okay. And 
And the, they didn't show you. They showed you like a brief clip of him writing them, and then the psychologist took a bunch of pictures. Okay. Of them. Yeah, and he again he learned enough of their language to learn how to fight them, and what words he could gather to compare to his language and such. And apparently, he knows that this is talking about an intergalactic war because he learned the word <laughs> intergalactic. <laughs> <laughs> and then we managed to crack open the alien thing with the laser and uh it's got this big white robo sphere inside mm-hmm. uh side the ship it's vietnam all of a sudden and we're hiding in marshes and yeah <laughs> also this part of the movie is irrelevant for like the rest for what happens like it has no bearing on anything except that they have ships at the end yeah and they escape they get out of the they get out of the mothership and then they have they've stolen the alien spaceship so that they can use them later but yeah otherwise it's just it's just it this is part of this was one of the scenes where especially when they're like walking through the water where i'm like this is just an advertising for the marines yep (laughs) uh yeah, the uh, enemies get an alert because the sphere is activated mm-hmm. and the sphere activation alert goes off. And then the queen gets inside of a giant exosuit and they start going to uh, Area 51 inside her special uh, queen ship. I will say that that suit up scene is one of my favorites. It's just, it's, just so ridiculous and i just i appreciate it so much it just has that it has that predator vibe it has an alien vibe but then it's also an exoskeleton it's just it's kind of cool i like that scene yeah uh the robot sphere starts talking to them in english Lloyd decides <laughs> to put his hands on it uh-huh. yeah it just just flat out goes and touches it just touch it i mean it, it did anybody else get evo vibes like from um wally, uh, wally? yes absolutely because yeah. <laughs> it's like so pristine and white and like yeah shiny and it's round. if apple designed a spaceship yeah <laughs> basically yeah but yeah he put his hands on it and i just wrote down damn it floyd <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the, uh, ship starts talking. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, why did you, why didn't you activate before? Because you attacked me. It's like, yeah, it's we, true. We were trying yeah. to warn you about yeah. the other attack that's coming. I... And then you attacked me with the weapons from the other person, so I didn't know what to do. Like, are you on my side? Are you on their side? I have no idea what's going on. I'm the sole survivor of a race that has been fighting them for decades, centuries, but I, they've managed to take us all out. But I know of a secret planet where I've been taking refugees from every spe- place they've been trying to attack, and we're learning to mount a defensive against them. It's like, what is going on with that? Like, this this plot for a third movie that is in no way a continuation of Aliens Attacked Us is suddenly there's an intergalactic civilization of refugees that have banded together to fight this one race. 
Also, this alien's race has transcended corporeal form mm-hmm. and is purely artificial, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. I, I don't know if either of you ever watched the TV series Stargate Atlantis, but yeah. Speaking of. <laughs> I mean, speaking of Roland Emmerich. Right, like that seems to be like his like that's that's the common theme there. Well, actually, the he had theme. nothing to do with the TV shows. He gets paid for them because it's based off his oh, idea. But like fair. that, he said that that is not what he would have done with a sequel to Star. But Day. he then he, but then he did it in the sequel to Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> and. Well, I mean, it happens in Moonfall, too. I Spoilers was going to say that. I'm like, I don't want to spoil Does Moonfall it? too much, but it also definitely happens in Moonfall. Funny. And uh, we learn that we don't have seven hours until they get to the uh, iron core or the molten core of the Earth. Mm-hmm. We only have one hour mm-hmm. <laughs> because their math was wrong. I guess, and the computer figures it out on the fly. We see the seven change to a one. Right, yeah. And, yes, so we've got a plan now. We're going to put a radio frequency emitter onto a ship to make it seem like the sphere is on it and being taken somewhere else. Meanwhile, we're going to put the sphere inside an isolation room so that it doesn't emit any signals. And we're going to try to lure the queen to where we want her to be and then blow her up with bombs. Mm-hmm. And uh, that plan actually works fairly well. <laughs> uh, they need, but they don't have any, all of the satellites have been taken out. So they don't have any way to remotely activate a bomb. So they need someone to go on a suicide mission. And clean-shaven Bill Pullman shows up, and he He shaved to save the world. (laughs) I, you know what? I wanted him drinking coffee, because if he's going to be the Randy Quaid of this version, then he needs to be drinking coffee and sobering himself up for this mission. Like, honestly, Randy Quaid going, sacrificing himself in the first movie was a better speech than the rousing inspirational speeches in this one. (gasps) Oh, yes. Yes. And up yours. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they. Meanwhile, we check back in with Judd Hirsch, who we've been seeing a few times. He picked up some orphans and he now has more children. He has collected more. He finds children. <laughs> a school bus where their bus driver abandoned them to go back to Minnesota to get laid before the world ends, which and- you're not going to get from Las Vegas to Minnesota. In the seven hours that you had. And like a quarter of them have the same bunny hat. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> and so now Judd Hirsch has an they're entire a, school bus of orphans. They're a camp. They're a camp. They were like, because it like they said the camp name on the side. Uh, so I assumed it was just part of their whole like get up for camp, I yeah. guess. Okay. And his plan is I'm going to take all of these children to a military base. That if I look up, I can see a mile-wide ship going straight towards it. <laughs> and yeah, he's driving through the desert in a bus. Uh, the They see him over there. They're like, who's that? And they believe that. It, and 
Like, hey, someone's waving at you. It's a tall, gangly guy. Tall, gangly. That's my David. That's my David. <laughs> that's my David. Oh my god. I that that that's the one line that made me the happiest because it's just like obviously he hasn't seen David in a very long time because there are deep deep-seated troubles within the Levison family. And now he is finally in, in a, oh, I, oh, <laughs> I'm so sad for their family because I know something terrible has happened and they're not talking about it. And <clears throat> they manage to uh, they the people that are on the mothership uh, they do their big escape. Uh, Liam Hemsworth pees on the deck and gives them the finger. <laughs> Because they killed his parents. And they managed to get out of there. Uh, somehow they're all communicating, even though, like, they don't have radios. Or they have, like, handheld radios that they don't have to push to talk into. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things in a movie that uh, I wouldn't have noticed if they didn't say switch to channel six. I would have just been like, okay, they're just talking to each other. But as soon as you mention that there's a radio involved, I'm now thinking about the mechanics of how you use a radio. It's like how in the Avengers, you just don't question that they're communicating to each other mm-hmm. across New York. Sure. You're just like, yeah, they've got something. Uh, yeah, they have lured the mothership to a place and they blow it up. Uh, or not yet. The president is doing a speech on all the shortwave yeah. radios. And he's like, I know many of you are listening in. And again, in the first one, we see people across the world that are all planning their own assaults and they're all going to take their own destiny into their hands to help with this worldwide assault. Whereas this one, it's like 20 guys in Nevada are going to save the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it because they were trying. Yeah, that is it. It lacks all of its global it lacks all of it, like, because there was, like, a global connection where they all took down the motherships because they had this moment of time in which the shields were down. And now it's just, oh, all 20 of us are going to save the day. Yep. Uh, Bill Pullman uses his bodyguard to distract his daughter so he can steal the ship, and she can't stop him from stealing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Yeah, she, like, flies to protect him. He doesn't say pumpkin, though he should. Ugh. And, yeah, he flies inside the mothership and then waits too long before blowing up because he wants to say something cool before hitting the switch. And, yeah, it's kind of anticlimactic that, yeah, the ship's destroyed. Mm-hmm. Except the aliens aren't done yet. They're still drilling. Mm-hmm. And it's because the queen had her own shield. What? And she yeah. bursts from the wreckage and is somehow bigger than the ship that she was just inside. Yeah, she is very big. She's like the size of Godzilla in Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, I don't quite understand the spatial relations in those ships. And was it just because the ecto... Because, like, is it the ectoskeleton? Can that grow? Is it, like... Well, yeah, it's a biomechanical skeleton that could theoretically be whatever size you want with a cockpit inside. But she herself is also very large. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. And She's real tall. Yeah. Uh, they don't get the children out of there right away because one of them has to save a dog. Mm-hmm. Just like Barkley in uh, the first one. Or yeah. Rodney. I mean... 
is the dog's name is Rodney? Yeah, Barkley is in Space Jam. Okay, yep, you're right, you're right. That makes sense. And uh, they, yeah, then we're doing a bus chase running away from a queen who is attacking the bus for no particular yeah. reason. Yeah. Outside of that, it's there. Well, and she, she and she goes after like it was, what I think is so interesting is because you have then um, Patty's character in the other ship uh, flying away now that her dad's gone and blown it up, and like the queen, like z- like this is a tiny ship in comparison to the queen, and the queen just zeroes in mm-hmm. on her and just goes right after her, and then goes right after a bus, two of the smallest targets, right, <laughs> and. Uh, we managed to take down the queen's personal shield somehow, like just by shooting it enough, it mm-hmm. goes down, which that would have been nice to know in the first movie that you could just shoot them enough and they go down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they the shield is down now, which means that we can attack it. Uh, the guys from outside come back. We've only got four minutes left until the planet is doomed to kill the queen. They start shooting her, but then uh, she detects the uh, sphere in actuality and she takes control of all the ships to protect her and does like this tornado of ships around her mm-hmm. and starts punching her way through the ground. Uh, the nerd and the warlord uh, go to protect the sphere. Brent Spiner's there and because they had a prison breakout. Yep. <laughs> and his uh, boyfriend is killed, and he gets upset, so he starts shooting with an alien gun. So anyway, I just start blasting. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, a lot of more stuff happens. And that's, again, a trope of bury your gays. So you can have a gay couple in a movie as long as one of them dies for motivation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they are like, okay, we're stuck in this tornado. We can't get out. We don't have controls. Let's activate hyperdrive, which for some reason is not under her control. Yeah. And is only for use in outer space. And I guess it allows them to build up enough speed to break free from her psychic control. I don't know. And it's also supposed to kill them, according to Charlie. And they're, like, fine coming out of it. Yes, it, like, would kill them if they're going at close to light speeds in a space where there's... I mean, they literally have fire around them. But they Uh, do not die. They shoot up into the sky directly above the center. And they start falling down, but they can control where they're aiming. And they have gunfire, but... They can't, don't have any power, so it's a controlled fall. Mm-hmm. And excuse me, controlled dive. Yes, a controlled that is dive. a callback. That is a callback to an earlier yes. point in the it movie. Is. Yes, <laughs> foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they manage to shoot the alien enough to uh, cause her to start running away, and then they pull up and they're gliding behind her. And Chris Hemsworth or Liam Hemsworth says. Shoot her right at the back where the tentacles meet. That's her weak spot. Because apparently he knows that for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And they manage to kill her, I guess? Like, they open up, like, 
they knock her down and her like face opens up and she comes down and I guess she's dead, but they never had to kill her inside. Mm -hmm. Even though in like the first one, after they shot an exoskeleton, they also put a bullet in a head. And like in this one, he cut off the head of the alien that he stabbed in the back to make sure it was dead. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was like, oh, are we going to have Jeff Goldblum like drive the bus into the head or something? to kill it where's the double tap where you always double tap but no like that's we accept that it's dead it's fine and the earth is saved the earth's core is secure (laughs) no damage no damage whatsoever the drilling that has been done that's it even though it was only like two minutes away it's fine everything's fine no damage no permanent damage caused by that you have a mile wide hole in the ocean (laughs) yep Going straight down to the Earth's core, uh, with only you know a hundred yards to the Earth's core. That's fine. Yep, the Don't ocean would it. be lower. Uh, so, yeah, uh, David starts making goo goo eyes at his lady friend, who again just saw her parents and everyone she knows in London die earlier today. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and. Uh, David's dad is like, what's this? What happens? What's going on? Uh, nerdy guy is told by the warlord, you have the heart of a warrior. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the nicest thing that Aaron's ever said to him. And then Brent Spiner, who spent his time in isolation talking to this alien orb, has learned the secrets of the universe of hyperspace travel and wormholes and all sorts of weapons and... A thousand years of advancement in a decade. And he's like, and now we're going to kick some serious alien ass. And They want us. No, no, no. Not only that, they want us to lead yeah. the resistance. They want us as, as, as Earthians to lead the resistance. Yep, humans are that special, even though we're yeah. primitive, apparently. Mm. <laughs> we're the only ones to have ever taken down a harvester queen uh we repelled an invasion on our own before it's like oh i do i was gonna say there was one thing that so uh at the end there uh where liam hemsworth character lands the plane and uh, lands the alien ship and he lands it near patty and patty shoots at the ship because she thinks it's an alien and she literally almost kills him (laughs) <laughs> it's like, oh, glad you're a terrible shot because you almost like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, one thing that we didn't mention was like Liam Hemsworth before he left for like the moon was like, oh, did you look at those houses that I sent you? And she's like, no, I haven't had time. And then like another time while he's getting into a ship, she's like, Oh, I looked at the houses. The one on Harrison Street with the stone walkway. Like, as he's, like, (laughs) about to leave. And he's like, if it's still there by the time I get back. And it's like, yeah. Zinger! Zinger! Oh, the planet was almost destroyed. What what a joyous time. Yep. And also, they're, like, young and, like, looking at houses. And I... We're millennials. And I was just like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, also, no, I'm her... sure you could totally afford a house in DC. Of course, I mean, that makes her father total was the sense. president, she, which means she that she can probably afford a house. Yeah. yeah, it's just like oh, to be able to be like oh, which house do I want to buy? 
Yeah. Yeah. Because of its best features, not which ones can I live with. With the stone walkway. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, Allie, what were your overall thoughts on Independence Day Resurgence? I drew feathers and an ear of corn. I don't usually draw corn, but for some reason, I felt like drawing an ear of corn. Um, I I was bored um, for a lot of it. Uh, I was confused because I wasn't like as big into the Independence Day like lore, um, so I didn't understand like a lot of the relationships and now i kind of want to go back and watch independence day but at the (laughs) same time i'm kind of worried that it's just going to be another like action movie die hard kind of experience where i'm like okay yeah i don't like this because it's an action movie um but the relationships sound interesting um and it also made me want a shirt that said i'd rather be watching moonfall (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh becky what were your thoughts on this movie um uh it is the i i just genuinely believe that this was a, a movie that tried to pull as many elements from independence day the original and and pay homage to them but without actually making a movie it's just a a continuous stream of of hey did you get this reference hey did you see this oh we put these two people together finally you were waiting for that and i just think that that's that is the essence of the movie is is and and it's an end of the day apocalyptic america's great uh you know marine uh advertisement that i will will watch again next year for independence (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I feel like this movie was trying to be a sequel to what it thought people liked about the first one. It's like, well, what people liked was all the explosions and the cool alien lore and all this sci-fi stuff. When what people like about the first one is the characters and the relationships. Like, you'll note when we were discussing it, we like didn't discuss the cool action scenes in the movie, though there are some. Like, the things that stick in our minds are the characters. And, yeah, this was, like, a sequel to what someone thought it should have been instead of what it actually was. I, yeah, ex- I completely agree. I think you said it really well. So, Allie, would you recommend people watch this movie? No! And Becky, <laughs> would you recommend people watch this movie? I recommend that if you like Independence Day, you should watch this movie just because um, you will like Independence Day even more. So I think that if you are a fan of Independence Day and you have access to it without having to pay extra, I think you should. We had, excuse me, we had to rent it because we don't have cable, but right now it's free if you have FX. So if you have that as an option... Yeah, why not? Check it out. Like I said, it's two hours, which is shorter than a lot of movies tend to be these days. Uh, Still probably 30 minutes too long. I was going to say, I feel like it felt long. Uh, It's one of those movies that simultaneously is breakneck pace because we have so much stuff to get in. And also, I feel like you could cut so much of it and 
like it would be a better experience. I feel like if you're really curious, you can watch like the last like half hour, 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, That's fair. And so I give this a rating of one giant exosuit alien out of a suddenly there's a queen bee that we have to kill. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, Becky, where can people find you if they want to see what you're up to? Oh, well, um, right now, the really the only thing I've got going on um, is I do uh, occasionally monthly shows with my group Vilification Tennis. You can see us um, every month at the Bryant Lake Bowl. Uh, we do, I think, our next show coming up. I should have had this information <laughs> ready. I am so sorry. I don't remember what our next show is, but I do know when it is. It is uh, July 22nd mm-hmm. um, at the BLB. And... Um, uh, yeah, so that's what I've been doing is, is vilification tennis shows. And I'm not in every single one, but hey, it's a good show whether I'm in it or not. And do you have any uh, social media you'd like to promote? No, I am so bad at social media and there's no point in trying to find me because I don't really talk to you anyone know what? on social media. You know what? Better for anyways. your mental health overall. Right? Uh, I've, it's been a rough, it's been a rough couple of years and I've been trying to step away from more social media. (laughs) All right, Allie, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Allie in MPLS, A-L-I-I-N-M-P-L-S. And, oh, and we're in a fringe show Mm -hmm. together. Um, it is called Orzel Rising. Um, it is about the last, uh, submarine of Poland battling the Nazis. And there is stage wizardry mm-hmm. involved. Um, there's lots of props and, um, sound effects and stuff done by stage ninjas. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rick Boston. I'm also on Twitch at Northernmost Gamer. I'm playing through Sly 2 Band of Thieves right now. Uh, you can see me in the upcoming Fringe production of Ortsel Rising. It's about the last Polish submarine in World War II fighting Nazis, as shown with stage wizardry, and there are also stage ninjas. <laughs> He's a stage ninja. He plays a stage ninja. I play the uh, engineer who works on diesel engines and electric engines. I have no experience with engines, so I'm learning a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Facebook. Uh, if you want to email us, you can reach out to us at 30belowpod at gmail.com. That's 30belowpod at gmail.com. Uh, So, yes, we got an email uh, in this week from friend of the show, Betsy, uh, host of Never Seen It Pod. And she says, hello, Allie and Rick. Since I have no intention of watching this movie, S. Darko, Mm -hmm. I'm just hoping you can clarify something. You described a scene where a man was talking about conspiracy theories that Tupac, Whitney Houston, and other deceased celebrities are actually alive and living on an island. Is this the future? Because if this movie takes place in 1995, that is a huge plot hole, or this man is not in fact insane, but rather from the future. Maybe I misheard you, but let me know if I didn't. In any case, this movie sounds bad. Thanks in advance, Betsy. No. So, yeah, that is just bad writing. The movie does take place in the 90s. Oh, yeah, it does. Uh, I believe it would have taken... 
I mean, it definitely Whitney Houston wouldn't have been there. I think they said Elvis. Uh, and I think it would have been right around the time that Tupac was dead, but I don't know if the Tupac is still alive conspiracies started until the later 90s. Yeah, the movie came out in 2009, um, but I don't know exactly what year it took place. Yeah, it took place in the mid-90s. So, yes, this appears to be a case of a giant plot hole on mm-hmm. the part of the movie. Yes. So, yes, if you have any questions about uh, any of our movies that we have done, if you have thoughts on Independence Day or Independence Day Resurgence, you can email to them to us at 30belowpod at gmail.com. And thank you so much, Becky, for being with us this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Yes. Uh Make sure you subscribe. We're on all uh, podcast services. Uh And so, yes, for this week, I've been Rick. I've been Allie. And this has been 30 Below. Bye.